Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's lesson is taken from our gospel reading from the 13th chapter of St. Luke with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. The season of Lent, as many of you know, is a time in the church which is characterized by somber reflection and repentance. Now, this second word, repentance, has been the subject of much debate in the church's history, particularly in the Lutheran tradition, where its meaning was heavily contested with the Roman See. At the core of this debate was one particular verse of the Bible, Matthew 4, verse 17. Here Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what exactly is so confusing or confounding about that simple verse, you might ask? Well, you see, St. Jerome, when he translated the original Greek of the New Testament into the Latin Vulgate, which was the text employed by the Catholic Church as the primary translation of scriptures for over a thousand years until the Reformation, Jerome translated the Greek word metanoiata, not as the familiar word repent, but rather in the Latin poenitentium agita, which in the English means do penance. Now, this seems like rather a small difference, but I tell you, its implications are tremendous. For you see, to repent is to do an about-face. To repent, as you see in your bulletins, if you have those open, means to turn away from your sin and back to God. In contrast, to do penance is to do works of righteousness with the hope of paying off your sin. To repent is to acknowledge your sin and lay it before the mercy seat of God, to receive forgiveness from Him. To do penance is to enumerate your sins and try to weigh them against your own acts of righteousness. To repent is to place the hope of your forgiveness in God's hands. To do penance is to try to take the matter into your own hands. And as I said, this seemingly small difference in syntax, it can make a tremendous difference towards your salvation. Therefore, we in the Lutheran Church acknowledge this season of Lent not as a season of penance, but a season of repentance. Our focus during this time is not on what we can do in order to make things right, but on the works which Christ does on our behalf to make us right with God the Father. Consequently, and this should come as no surprise to you, sinners, we do tend to struggle quite a bit with the notion of repentance. 
Why is this? Simply because repentance means to admit your wrongdoing. To own up to the fact that you can't possibly hope to clean up the mess which your sin has made. To repent means to trust in the grace of God to right your wrongs because you, like all of us, are at the end of the day a poor miserable sinner. You are insufficient of yourself to pay the debt which you owe. And friends, I tell you, this sort of goes against the image of ourselves that we all like to imagine, doesn't it? The image of the self-made, self-sufficient man, able to tackle any problem in his way with a, good old, with a, with a little can-do attitude and good old-fashioned gumption. But gumption does not atonement make. Christ alone makes atonement for the sinner. And forgiveness of sins is not a result of works, as St. Paul confesses in Ephesians chapter 2. So then, what can the sinner do but repent of his sins and accept charity from the mercy seat of God? Well, upon reflection, I suppose there is one other option. But as the people of Israel showed us throughout their long and tumultuous history, it's not a good option. For you see, these people frequently committed themselves not to humble repentance, but rather to repeated, obstinate impenitence. We see a prime example of this in our Old Testament reading, don't we, from Jeremiah? Here, as the prophet of Israel spoke to God's people in the time preceding the Babylonian exile, the meat of his proclamation, as you might have guessed, was, Repent! To God's chosen people, who by their actions would more often than not demonstrate greed, promiscuity, thievery, and idolatry, Jeremiah had this to say. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds. And I will let you dwell in this place. That is, the land which the Lord had prepared for them, which was rapidly slipping out of their grasp. And at this proclamation, the people responded as you saw in our Old Testament reading for today. They rallied to murder God's prophet. A pattern which, sadly, would be oft repeated throughout the generations of Israel. The results of this obstinance? Well, look further into their history. A divided kingdom, a generation of exile, centuries of subjugation until the days of Jesus, the perfect prophet who came among them not just to proclaim the word of God, but to actively fulfill it. And what was that perfect prophet's message? What did Jesus have to say to the people? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Surely, the people would have learned their lesson. Surely, they would not be so short-sighted, so stupid, as to repeat the errors, the tragic errors of their forefathers. Surely, they would now, at long last, listen to this long-prophesied Messiah, right? But hear again what they said to him today in our gospel reading. 
Some of the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. It seems the people of Israel would repeat their pattern of obstinate impenitence. The Pharisees, for their love of reputation and for their confidence in their own works of righteousness, and King Herod, for his craven desire for power, both of them turned away from God's mighty plan for their salvation and instead trusted in themselves. Both desired the death of the Messiah who came to save them. And yet the Gospels go on to show us how the work that Jesus came to do would not be stymied by their repeated schemes. For he says to them, Go and tell that fox, Herod, Behold, I cast out demons, I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. You see, Jesus saw right through the Pharisees' ruse. He understood perfectly that their message to him was not a charitable heads up. They were not concerned with his safety. But rather, they were trying to use Herod and Rome to threaten him into silencing his calls for repentance. But thanks be to God, the Christ would not be silenced. Though death itself come for him, after three days in the tomb, he would finish his course in victory. Victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil. And though he forecasted this event frequently in his preaching and teaching, still the scriptures tell us that his own disciples did not fully understand his meaning. And the Pharisees, the scribes, the Levites, the teachers of the law, those who you might expect to be able to open the scriptures with him and see what it is he meant, they did no such thing. The Bible says that they, of all people, rejected him outright. For they were insulted that they, as his children of the covenant, should be made to do something so lowly and menial as repent and that they should receive the call to repentance from this humble carpenter. They would not hear him, just as they refused to hear the prophets who came before him. Truly, there is nothing new under the sun. For this same people, who schemed to crucify their Messiah, did also force the prophet Elijah to flee from them for his life. This same people also banished the prophet Amos from ever preaching again in the city of Bethel. They also beat and imprisoned the prophet Micaiah. They conspired with a group of corrupt priests to try to assassinate the prophet Jeremiah, and they murdered the prophet Uriah with the sword. And at last, they stoned to death the prophet Zechariah. Is it any wonder, then, that seeing how this people of old rejected and killed his prophets, we see Jesus today in Luke's gospel crying out in lament, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but... You were not willing. And now behold, 
your house is forsaken. This people who had for so long denied the plan and the purpose of their God, now found God in flesh, in their midst, preaching among them. He pronounced them forsaken. Friends, as long as we're on the topic of vocabulary words, this word forsaken, it is not a word which God uses lightly. In fact, this word is so loaded that we only ever see it in the scriptures employed against those who stubbornly reject their Lord, never the other way around. And it is in this unenviable position that Jesus now finds the people of Jerusalem. So firm was their rejection of the Messiah that he adds at the end of his teaching today, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here was Jesus swearing not to minister in the capital city of the Jews until Palm Sunday, until his triumphal entry back into the city. And what would the people do at this return? Welcome him with open arms, maybe for a time. But no, Then they would reject him again, handing him over to be crucified under Pontius Pilate, fulfilling the very prophecy that we see Jesus make in today's gospel lesson. Now friends, I wish that I could tell you that this sordid tale has a happy ending, that the Israelites would finally see the error of their ways, that they would at long last submit themselves to repentance and receive the forgiveness offered them by the Christ whom they crucified. But this is not the case. In fact, to this day, those who call themselves sons and daughters of the old Abrahamic covenant, they still reject that Savior whom the covenant whom the covenant foreshadowed. The happy ending, as it were, they still stubbornly refuse to hear. The gospel is not proclaimed in Jerusalem, but it comes instead to sons and daughters of a new covenant, a covenant sealed in the body and blood of Christ crucified for our sake. So hear his words again, you saints of the Lord. For he has brought you, Gentiles, foreigners, into his everlasting kingdom. By your baptism, he has made you heirs with him of all the treasures of heaven. Be vigilant this Lenten tide, and I urge you, learn from the tragedy of Jerusalem. That the same obstinance which drove them to reject and kill the prophets and crucify their very Messiah does not also befall you in this present age. Be not obstinate, but obedient, hearing the call of your Lord and following wherever it is that he leads. Commit yourselves this day not to fruitless works of penance, which have no power to save you, but to humble repentance. Receiving mercy in abundance from him who gave his very life for you in atoning sacrifice for your sin. Heed the call of prophets, apostles, martyrs, 
and faithful pastors who urge you in this season of Lent to gather for refuge in the shadow of his wings. For he, and he alone, is strong to save. Even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.